Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hey there, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. So you're about to hear the second half of my recording of my my opus, my audio and video essay of everything that I've been thinking of in terms of pleasure and becoming a pleasure activist. So this is Becoming a Pleasure Activist Part 2. You'll hear when the recording starts me realizing, oh my gosh, this is going on too long. I'm going to cut this into two parts. I left that all in because it's we're here to have the real human experience and that was mine in that moment. Um, so just as a recap, if you happen to miss last week's episode, I do recommend going back and listening to that first because I I don't know how much this will make sense if you haven't listened to the first part. Just as a recap, I talk about the fact that this year is my year to just increase and appreciate my own body's capacity for pleasure. I, my word for this year is enjoy. That is my, the main thing that I'm really interested in um, exploring for myself over this year, which is 2024. Um, and um, I wanted to share everything I've been thinking and reading and learning about pleasure so that if you want, you can make this your year of pleasure as well. I think that would be a beautiful thing for many people in healthcare. And some of the reasons why I talk about in the past, the previous episode, and I get further into it in this episode. Um, The place we start is talking more about the book Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown. Um, I read an excerpt about it in part one, and I'm about to read further excerpts, which I will explain are basically the, the pleasure principles. So core ideas that um, in pleasure activism, they talk about as ways to actually do pleasure activism. And um, I also include at the end some of my own thoughts and um, examples of how interacting with things that are pleasurable have shifted and how I'm really learning from them more. And uh, yeah, that, that basically brings us to the end of what you'll be hearing at the end of this episode. So I hope you enjoy and uh yeah thanks for hanging with me thanks for listening to a two-parter and um we'll get in to the episode now so this last segment is about um i don't know how long this is going i may have to cut this into two parts if this ends up being two parts you will know why but i really want to get this all out this is this is everything that i've been thinking about pleasure so um this next segment whether you're hearing about it live or you're it's being cut into two episodes <laughs> um it's sort of how we do this and so you know on a regular basis it's like wow it's so nice to think about pleasure but how do I begin where do I start what do I do and like what does it feel like inside of myself as I orient myself towards enjoying my life and experiencing pleasure and so the main way I do it um actually is quite well illustrated by um these things called pleasure principles, which Adrienne includes in pleasure activism. And so I want to, I actually have these 
like handwritten in little sticky notes and I have them on my computer at work, just as a reminder in that setting where I am very socialized and conditioned to ignore pleasure and ignore myself and ignore my body. So I have them right there as reminders for myself and they're really good. So I just want to share them with you and use them as a way to explain some ways that like how I'm practicing pleasure activism, how I'm practicing enjoying my life and my time. So the first pleasure principle is what you pay attention to grows. I really love this idea. Um, it's an emergent strategy idea. So tuning into happiness and what satisfies you, what brings you joy. When we tune into that, when we pay attention to happiness, to joy, to pleasure, to satisfaction, and we pay attention to it, it grows our experience of it. And it literally grows how much of the, it, there is of it in our lives, right? Because our life is our experience and our experience is what we pay attention to. That's like literally the whole thing. If you're focused on, you know, the dusty corner of a room versus the sparkling clean rest of it, you're having a dusty existence, not a sparkling clean existence as an example. That doesn't work very well in my house because every corner of my house is dusty because I don't really clean. But was that a good analogy? Hopefully you get what I'm saying. Okay. So speaking of this principle, like what you pay attention to grows, right? So a big part of my pleasure practice is actually paying attention, being mindful, being in the present moment. I can't actually enjoy something if I'm not paying attention to it. So even like Taylor Swift or Ted Lasso, they're less enjoyable to me if I'm also trying to check my email. If I'm, you know, so like being focused on one activity at a time includes activities of pleasure, right? As much as possible. And so a big part of this practice is actually that pruning and decluttering distractions um, and um, really focusing on one thing at a time. It ends up being this meditative practice, right? Um, another way that I practice this principle and that I've started doing, especially like at the beginning of this year is asking myself, like anytime I'm sort of just feeling any kind of way, or if I just remember, if I'm in the middle of any experience in my life, whether it's movement practice or it's in, in a conversation with a patient, if I think of it, I ask myself, what is enjoyable here? And especially times where I'm starting to feel overwhelmed, where I'm starting to feel really resistant, where I'm like, oh, this is hard. I just check. Yes, that's true. It's not about like gaslighting or saying that I'm not feeling uncomfortable or there isn't painful, uncomfortable parts of this, but it's just adding in what else is there? What is enjoyable here? And noticing how that shifts my experience, even in like really painful, uncomfortable situations and actually resources me. So then I'm better able to attend to and metabolize the more negative, painful, uncomfortable parts of the situation. Okay. It happened to me this morning. I was exercising. I was, I was actually doing a movement practice to Taylor Swift <laughs> and I was feeling really creaky and I was noticing my brain was like, oh, I'm so creaky, so tired. Maybe I should just stop. And so I said, okay, self, we could stop if you want. And first let's check what's enjoyable here. And I started actually tuning into the music. I started tuning into what my arms were doing. I was tuning into how my body felt. And I noticed that as well as feeling creaky and tired, my body was also warming up because I was moving, was responding well to the lovely music of Miss Taylor Swift, right? And so it's like, oh, there's more than just pain and suffering here. There is more, it is a full rich experience, right? And so that 
what I paid attention to grew out of my experience and shifted my experience. So that's the first principle. The second principle is we become what we practice. So, um, and, um, in the list of this, she cites a book, Leader, The Leadership Dojo by Richard Strozzi Heckler, and shares that 300 repetitions produce body memory and 3000 repetitions create embodiment. So the idea is the more I practice this, the easier it is to do. When I first started like doing things for myself, I felt so anxious. I felt so overwhelmed. I could like tolerate for like two seconds sometimes. And then I would have to like go back to, you know, being anxious and doing things for other people. But like the more I've done it, the easier it's become. And I can see ways in which it's already becoming second nature to look for what's pleasurable. And I want to just grow that more because then I have a better experience in my life, you know? So part of that though, especially at first, if you're very, very used to denying yourself any pleasure, we're going to need to do it a little intentionally. So for me, I, I got to put it in my calendar. I actually like booked that dance class I have in my calendar when I do my movement practice. Like, um, I have my calendar when I go for tea with friends. Like I, I, there are some things that I know are not in the normal routine of my life right now. And so in order to be a bit disruptive and add a bit more pleasure, I get them on my calendar. I'm doing them more concretely and they get as much priority as a dentist appointment, right? Like they, they have to be on my calendar and I'm, I'm actually making sure they're a regular part of my routine. It could be something like five minutes at the start of your day. What's one thing you want to do for pleasure? Is it singing a song? Is it going for a walk? Right. But that thing gets the priority. And over time, then it becomes more second nature. And so we, we become what we practice right now. Many of us, and certainly I used to be practicing a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of um, others oriented thinking a lot of, you know, all these different things that I talk about on the podcast, right? That's what we were practicing before. And so it feels like it's what we've become. We can become something else when we practice new things. And so why not practice some pleasurable things and see who you become in the face of practicing pleasurable things instead. So the third principle is yes, is the way yes, is a future. When I feel pleasure, I know I am on the right track. Puerto Rican pleasure elder Idelise Malayev, I probably did not pronounce that right, I apologize, shared with Adrienne that her pleasure principle is, if it pleases me, I will. That almost sounds like trite, but like really think about it. Like I've started really thinking about how to intentionally practice incorporating what feels good into like my decision-making for this year. So before I'm asked to do something, one of the places I want to start actually practicing and get into a second nature of checking is like, hmm, does that feel good to say yes to that? I've actually already done that quite a lot with like patient care. So if I'm in the middle of trying to figure out how to advise a patient, I ask them what they think might feel good. And for myself, like on a given day, based on my resources, my capacity and how I'm feeling, I'm like, what will feel good for me? Here is it just like saying a firm no because that's what I got, or is it actually doing something else? And in these situations where there are many solid choices, what feels best is actually a really interesting reason to make a decision. It feels very wrong and countercultural, which is why I, I'm doing it. And I encourage you to consider doing it as well, right? So like, what would it be like with big life decisions or small ones? Like, 
actually tuning into what is the sense I get of what would feel best for me? What would feel best to do? What what I enjoy the experience of most? And how could that be the barometer by which I decide if I make a decision? Yes, you know, left or right, yes or no. Very, um, yeah. And that's why I like what she says, like, yes is a future. So like saying yes to pleasure alters our future. And if that's the way that we decide how we spend our time, it changes our experience of what we do with our time. That's very fun. The next principle is when I am happy, it is good for the world. And um, in the book, she has a sort that she has a footnote about this. So this is not originally from Adrienne Brie Brown. It is from, um, she calls her her incomparable, brave and brilliant Canadian woe, Jody. Um, and what she says about Jodi is folks who are rooted in sensing and seeking pleasure and bringing that energy into their work and relationships are shining a light for others. There is another path that isn't full of stress, self-doubt, pain, victimization, and suffering. There is a path in which everything is learning, playing, practicing, doing things anew. Period. I mean, my drop in my opinion. So that's what this is. So when I am happy, it is good for the world. Like, can we get that on like a cross stitch? Because that is, that is not our dominant medical culture narrative that, oh, hey, are all the doctors here happy? Are all the healthcare workers here happy? Because we know if they're happy, that will be good for the healthcare system. That is not the equation that we are solving for right now, right? And that is the main equation I'm encouraging us to solve for. When you, you who are listening, are happy, it is good for the world. It is good for your patients. It is good for your colleagues when you are happy. <laughs> this, I, I'm just going to really drive this one home. I don't just believe it. I think the evidence shared shows itself to be true. Like, have you heard the expression, hurt people, hurt people? Well, what if we want people to help each other? Well, it can't be if they're hurting. What could it be? If they are resourced, if they are happy, they are satisfied. Resourced, happy, satisfied people help people, just like hurt people hurt people, right? Like, so when you are happy, it is good for the world, period. That is pleasure activism right there. All right, the there's four more principles and then actually an extra one from me. So next principle is, the deepest pleasure comes from riding the line between commitment and detachment. Commit yourself fully to the process, the journey, to bringing the best you can bring. Detach yourself from ego and outcomes. I think this is like got a lot of rich wisdom in it. Basically, what this means to me is like it's about enjoying the experience of it all the way along, including like the hard parts, even some of the pain. People can get a lot of pleasure from feeling pain. There's a whole segment of sex work that's about that, right? So it's it's not about saying, okay, I'm going to grind through, and but I'm working towards pleasure, so I'll grind through and feel terrible and not enjoy any of this at all. And when I get to the outcome, then I'll really enjoy it. What if the process and the outcome both get to be enjoyed? So it's the difference between like enjoying a really juicy and tricky conversation with a patient equally to a moment where a patient thanks you and praises you or where a treatment actually works 
Those two latter things are awesome when they happen. And it's very fun to pause and enjoy them instead of just feeling like, oh, finally, you know, but being like, whoa, I prescribed a medicine and it actually helped someone. I really enjoy celebrating those. And that's part of my pleasure activism. And I am looking to expand how much I can enjoy that conversation with the nastiest, unhappiest patient that I dread seeing right now. What can I find that's enjoyable even in that interaction? That means that if there's a moment of gratitude, if there's a moment of happiness from that person, I can enjoy that too. I'm not waiting for it or feeling deprived or starved of something. I can enjoy even that really grumpy colleague. I can enjoy everybody. What would it be like? And I am not saying I am there, but it's it's a, it's something that seems so radical to shift towards that I am I'm interested in doing that experiment this year. Keep listening, I'll let you know how it goes by the end, honestly. Right? So that's what I think this means between like commitment and detachment. So like committing to every moment and the process of it, enjoying that. And then we're not saying that it you have to only enjoy outcomes or you're going for the high hits of like big successes. It'll make it all, it's sort of like the drug analogy before, right? So we're not waiting just for those big dopamine hits. We're noticing how our entire environment has something in it that is to be enjoyed. Okay. Um, the third last principle is make justice and liberation feel good. I mean, period. That one actually doesn't have need other, any other explanation it other than to say so because sometimes it's like we see something horrible in the world or we see something that's wrong in our environment we see something wrong with our healthcare system and it's very we actually need the anger and the frustration to wake us up that's a very important part of the process those emotions are sacred to say look something bad alert 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 right but now say we're like oh we acknowledge something's really bad here and when we check with ourselves we want to do something about it we need to resource ourselves first because doing something about it is going to take a bunch of time and energy and effort and if we do it like purely out of that anger we're going to burn out but if we do it like we can have anger in there too to remind us what we're doing but also how do we make that how do we make that anger feel good how do we make how we approach any change we want to be a part of feel good and then that's actually what's going to make it sustainable and effective, right? Second last principle from pleasure activism is your no makes the way for your yes. Boundaries create the container with within which your yes is authentic. Being able to say no makes yes a choice. So I feel like it's like the same thing said three ways and I love it. So because pleasure takes time, energy, attention, and the rest of our lives and the world and the patients and the colleagues and everyone are always demanding too much of our time, energy, and attention. Like we will never be able to give them enough. A pleasure practice can be a really great way and a motivation to start setting boundaries of saying, hey, world, I hear you. You really want me to totally burn myself out doing X and giving away all my time, energy, and attention to others. I am saying I am putting myself first five minutes a day with this one pleasure practice of memorizing Taylor Swift's song or whatever, right? I am practicing pleasure. And that is, I have to say no to other things in order to yes to that. There, That is so sacred. I know a lot of you 
like me, struggle with setting boundaries around all sorts of different things, things that are about safety, things that are just about capacity. And there's something really amazing about practicing setting boundaries or at some, so that you, the, you have this reward in the middle of like, when I set this boundary, it will be so I can enjoy something that feels amazing. And it's a really great way to start boundary setting intentionally. The last principle from the pleasure activism list is moderation is key. The idea is not to be in a heady state of ecstasy at all times, but rather to learn how to sense when something is good for you, to be able to feel what enough is. Unlimited amounts of pleasure lead to excess, and excess totally destroys the spiritual experience of pleasure. So I think this is sort of, again, speaking to what the Rat Park experiment was speaking to again, right? So Again, we think, I think if you think of you're a hedonist or, you know, pleasure seeker, pleasure activist, that means that every, if something feels bad, you'll be like, get it out of there. Cause you only need to feel good. You can only feel okay. If you feel good and sort of pat, like sedating yourself and numbing yourself out with only good feelings, right? No pleasure activist includes recognizing and metabolizing uncomfortable feelings, being willing to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations because we've been resourced because we've had pleasure as well. So that's, it almost like naturally makes the moderation happen, right? Because life is full of pain and joy. It's always full of both. Both are always actually there. And it's more about paying attention to both sides of the coin and understanding that moderation is, is actually just, when we say moderation, it feels a little bit like we're doing it intentionally, but honestly, in my experience, if I'm paying attention, I have moderate amounts of both pain and pleasure. Moderate amounts of both light and dark are just like in my life all the time. If I'm actually looking for both, those are what present themselves to me. Yeah. And so it's not about being like anesthetized from life. No, it's what actually then practicing pleasure resources us to face the rest of life. And that's what I interpret it in terms of there wouldn't, there's no need for excess. I, I am capable of experiencing pain and putting myself in the way of possible heartbreak or rejection. I am capable of doing that more so when I also have reliable sources of pleasure in my life that I can return to and that can resource me for that hard work. Right. And so the last principle and idea is one that is mine. And in some ways it's sort of the, I don't know if it's the full thesis of this entire thing, but it's the truest thing that I have to say myself that I've already learned about pleasure. So I want to share it with you. Basically, there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. If I enjoy it, I enjoy it. I can get curious about the craving that a particular pleasure is trying to fulfill and pay attention to if it, I'm actually satisfied by it. So like a classic one is I, it was just Christmas time, lots of sweets and treats in the house. I love a Terry's chocolate orange. I notice that if I eat one little slice of a Terry's chocolate orange and I'm really savoring it and enjoying it, my body's not actually hungry for more. It brings me delight. It makes me feel happy. It also nourishes my body a little bit. And then if I do that full sort of mindful way of eating it, then I move on. I then drink some water. I go do something else. And I'm like, oh, that was so great. It sort of fuels the next thing. If instead I'm like kind of mindlessly eating Terry's chocolate orange and I eat, you know, half of it in the go, maybe while I'm scrolling on my phone, it's interesting how often these things pair like certain kinds of 
consumption that sort of um, do quite light up and over fire up our pleasure systems, you know, sweets, social media, um, they pair together. So if I do that, the way my body knows that I've actually gone beyond what my my body actually desired or needed is she lets me know because I feel sick after I feel yucky after and it's like oh that was I was no longer than practicing pleasure I was practicing consumption and avoidance maybe and that's okay I'm not going to shame myself for it but that's what I mean and none of that has to mean guilt about the pleasure it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the chocolate per se it's just noticing like ah I didn't get the dose of that quite right I didn't that's sort of the moderation that we're talking about right and the thing that I've really enjoyed doing is as like a new obsession or a new delight presents itself in my life I used to always be like what's wrong with me why am I getting so obsessed why do I feel so compelled that I have to do this more or read this more or listen to this more like there's something wrong with me there's I'm it, there's something weird inside of me but now instead of all of that self-deprecating um putting down talk I get curious and I'm like what is this actually satisfying me what's the itch that this is scratching and is it actually working right so one example is with social media Honestly, I just keep deleting the apps. I will like re-download them to like post something for you guys or something, find something interesting. But after about like five, maybe 10 minutes, it immediately becomes like a yucky experience. And I notice it's really about often running away from a feeling or it's just a self-perpetuating thing that it's doing social media. And so that one I've learned, delete the app and then check with myself. What was it that made me want to go on there in the first place? What is it that I'm craving? Am I craving connection? Do I want to like text a friend? Do I want to talk to my husband, right? Um, another recent one that I've been thinking a lot about is why did I get so obsessed with reading all these romantic comedy books and even the fan fiction I was reading? Like, what was it about that? Because I was really like wanting to read a lot of it. And I was like, oh, this is so good. I'm enjoying this so much. And, and sometimes it felt like a bit of a compulsion, like what's going on there, right? And, and when I thought about it and I got curious about it, instead of shaming it, I was really enjoying like riding this roller coaster to the happy ending and just being, experiencing humans, getting enjoyable outcomes. That was like the main thing, this like delightful experience that you know is going to have this happy ending. And at times this was a bomb or even a bit of an escape when I was confronted with so much evidence of humans getting terrible outcomes and experiences, right? This past fall, also all of human history is lots of examples of that, especially if you read the news. Um, and so I'm aware that at times I was sort of like hiding from that and that's okay. That's allowed for, for as long as I needed. Right. But when I'm actually aware of it more and feeling more resourced and intentionally being like, Oh, I enjoyed that. That was so nice. That happy ending. And then turning that into fuel. So in this case, the romantic comedies and the fan fiction, I really thought about like, what this is, is a desire for happy endings. And so can I use this as fuel to create my own happy endings for myself, these moments of pleasure, these happy moments, as well as supporting others to do the same. Like something that I got from really thinking about romance and these, and these different stories that were all about people trying to come together and at the end, getting what they wanted. Yes. Is like, I really view myself as a hopeless romantic for healthcare humans finding fulfillment in their work. I think one of the things that I'm trying to offer you all through the podcast, through the coaching, through the courses is a way back to yourselves. Like basically you're on a romantic 
comedy journey with yourself, with your body, with your humanity. And I'm here cheering for you. I'm like the best friend that, you know, is like you're venting to you about how you can't get together with the person. Like that's almost a way I'm viewing my work now. And I think one of the reasons I'm doing that is because I was responding to and actually just enjoying this material, the books and the fan fiction, right? With Taylor Swift, I, I'm just, it's, she's such a fascinating person. And I think part of why I'm particularly drawn to her right now is I'm inspired by how she practices various amounts of like truth telling, vulnerability, you know, talking about her heartbreaks and getting really specific. And if you notice, that's kind of what I'm doing on this podcast. And she's also very prolific. And so having someone who is similarly sort of inspired and prolific really has been a source of inspiration as I continue to think of what do I want to do on this podcast? How do I want to be vulnerable? It's sort of like, how can I be more Taylor Swift-like in, in revealing harder, messier parts of myself and being my full human self, you know, being prolific and also thinking big. She's like, got a vision, you know? And so I find her so inspiring. And so I think as then say, I'm listening to podcasts about her, it's not just mindless entertainment. I'm actually doing it for a purpose. And I'm saying, what am I, what are the nutrients here that I'm gaining from what I'm learning about Taylor Swift and listening to Taylor Swift that are absolutely what my body is responding to and then can I use that in the rest of my work, right? In the rest of my life. That's that's what I mean by like, why am I drawn to a certain thing? Not just like judging it or thinking that makes it a guilty pleasure, but really being like, what is this actually scratching the itch of here? And what does that mean for the rest of my life? You know? So in other words, pleasure is instructive. It's deep wisdom to be learned from when we let it. So because it's our bodies talking to ourselves. It's our bodies telling us what they know to be true, what they sense we need, what they need. And so finding ways to listen to our bodies through the language of pleasure feels great inherently and is like an incredible source of transformation, an incredible source of like living an interesting examined life. So that's it. That's my treatise on pleasure. I actually don't know long how long I've been recording. So this one might need to be split into two parts. I feel like I was talking a long time. Um, thank you for listening. If you've made it all the way to the end of what I think is going to have to be a two-parter. And um, yeah, I would just say for all of you, I talked a lot about pleasure, a lot of different aspects and nuances of pleasure. And maybe it all just feels like way too much. Maybe it does. I don't know. Uh, what I would say is out of everything that I've just shared with you over this past while about pleasure, what's one foothold? Like what's one thing that you did hear that resonated with you? I gave you a full menu, a full buffet. If you can, if all you can take is one thing on your plate where it's like, I guess I don't have to feel guilty about enjoying my favorite reality show. Yes, take it and run. Okay. <laughs> if you're ready for a few more, you want to take a full few things from your plate from the plate. That's great. These are episodes you can always revisit. Um, but I really wanted to just like put a big plug in for pleasure. Um, because I just have this sense, and it's clearer now than ever before, that this is one of like the major components that we need to shift about how 
we approach each other as colleagues in healthcare, how we think about how we organize systems in healthcare to include pleasure and enjoyment, um, and certainly how we approach our patients and how we in invite our patients to approach their own lives. If we all get back to understanding like the critical importance of rest and pleasure, something transformational would happen in our society, truly. A lot of things would have to change. And in my opinion, they would change for the better. So with that, may you have an enjoyable, pleasurable week, even in small increments. May you find five minutes a day to really enjoy something and really enjoy it with as much of your body as feels accessible to you. And yeah, I'll talk to you next week. I would love to take this work deeper with you. Visit joanchanmd.com today and discover my growing menu of options for restorative medical education to suit your learning needs. I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching, customized workshops, and self-study courses that allow you to connect not only with my work on a deeper level, but also with other healthcare humans just like you. So if you want to start humanizing your work in healthcare to a deeper level and do it in community with others, please visit joanchanmd.com and find those options and what fits you and your life today.